You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 12, Jana, A.D. 75, July An ache settled deep in my leg. Dusk hazily descended as we sighted the meadow through the trees. Depths of hopelessness filled my heart and sank into my gut. I wanted to vomit as we rode into the open space and started across what was once a place of beauty for me. Meadowsweet's potent odor rose from the green marshy lee, crushed by the weight of the ponies. I looked around, there, near the bend in the stream. Was I standing there? Yes. I was gathering the blossoms, reveling in the sunlight of the summer day, remembering a night of love with Laverne, when my leg was crippled by the arrow. Panic caused my belly to fill with fire and pull against my backbone. The memories of my taking haunted me, but here I felt the fiendish presence of that man. My hand rested on my short sword, ready. I would never let myself be taken again. The ponies entered a stand of alders just on the far edge of the meadow. This hot, burning hardwood became charcoal for Finley Smithy. He whispered a greeting to the fire god, Bran, as we passed from the meadow into the cover of the trees. What god was I to thank for my despair? The size of my world had increased, not by my choice, and would never be the same again. This line of trees was where, at my taking, I once crossed into the world of the dead. The grass trampled by the hooves of the ponies smelled sour to me. The sweetness of this formerly tranquil place had disappeared. Everything I had known beyond this meadow led to the battle of my spirits and the death of Bethan. The blood-red setting sun and shrill call of the birds in the forest set the scene in my heart. Tears welled and fell onto my white dress, spotting it with gray grief. Bitharjana, why are you crying? Why are you not excited like me? queried the small Logan as he shifted to pat me on my back with both small hands. He rustled behind me as I leaned forward in pain, both from my leg and the heavy burden I carried. Quiet, pup! Let her be! Your aunt is grieving, admonished Kenrick. Kenrick and I had been riding side by side, exchanging glances. We did not need words for our conversation. In the meadow, his eyes sympathized with me and seemed to say, I understand. Here, you were gathering the herbs. It was from here we followed the blood trail with the dogs. Feelings of fear and suffocation were dredged from my memories. I choked back my tears, not wanting to frighten Logan. Do not make me unhappy we brought you along, little nephew, Finley said, following us. We'll be camping soon. Then you will hear the song of how Bethan captured the autumn bear. 
Logan began bouncing up and down in anticipation, almost knocking me off the pony. Oh, sit still. You're as troublesome as the spring midges. I teased as I semi-emerged from my cocoon of self-pity. Logan giggled with young exuberance. I imagined the size of his sky-blue eyes and smiled as I realized I was jealous of his innocence. My back ached and I groaned as I lifted my sore, swollen leg to allow the feeling to come back into my foot. I did not know whether I would be able to stand when I slid off the pony. Here is a good place to stop for the night, said Kenrick in a small grove of rowan trees. Logan slid off the pony to the ground and began to run as only a child can after a day on horseback. Finley slowly lifted me down. My legs trembled as he supported me until I could feel the ground with both feet. As the men and Logan gathered wood for a fire, I hobbled and kneeled at the roots of the sacred rowans to pray. Oh, Sukellus, I called and knocked on the tree bark. God of the forest and trees that are sacred to us, we thank you for the wood we use tonight. You, who ferries the dead across the river, be aware of Bethan. He was a mighty warrior and father of my clan. I ask you to protect us, this small group, as we honor our dead. Keep us from the evil spirits who walk the night. I searched my soul for a prayer for Marigna. I asked only two things. Take this panic from my heart and return Laverne safely to me. Mead flowed from my flask as a gift to the gods mixed with my tears. I was unaware of the roughness of the tree bark as I ran my hands over it, rubbing my prayers into the pith of the sacred tree's heart. I pulled my hands away, and small droplets of blood formed in my wounded palms. I grasped my chest. The dark, crimson stain covered the bodice of my white dress, and I fell over, deep in the arms of Mother Earth. My heart could not continue to beat, carrying this weight. Kenrick gently lifted and carried me to the fire, his eyes wise in a way I had not seen before. Sadness shone in their creases. He bore the weight of his family and our clan now. The air around him vibrated, a sign of a life filled with burdens of others. He will return. I have no doubt Laverne will return, he asserted as he laid me on my cloak near the fire. Logan was holding dried pork with both hands, pulling off bites with his small white teeth. The deer hound, Mialkshu, was peacefully curled up next to him, waiting for the falling scraps. Finley laid a large log on the fire and then spread his cape on the ground next to Logan. We have dried meat and bread for the meal. There is plenty of mead, said Kenrick. He handed me a full skin. Eat, and then we will sing of Bethan and the bear and the time he found a druid in the forest, coaxed Finley. You can add words for the dance you did the night the druid came to our clan. Do you recall? I nodded, reached for the mead, and was grateful I was with my cousins on this lonely night. The next morning's ride was uneventful. We traveled along a river, 
down into a valley littered by small gray boulders and few trees. Large and small stones lay scattered in the heather and bracken. The valley's surrounding hills shook the stones off, like water drops off a wet dog's back. Just after midday, Kenrick stopped and unstrapped his shield and longsword from his pony's rump. Remounting, he laid the sword across his lap and hung the leather and bronze shield from his shoulders. Finley did the same. They readied themselves to fight as warriors if needed. We were closing in on the village. My hand was resting on my short sword. If we have a reason to run the ponies, hang on tight to my dress. Do not fall, I warned Logan. A cleft midway down the valley was our goal. When we turned in, there stood four structures built using the scattered stones. The slate-roofed lodges stood in a semicircle around a central well. This is the clan of Bethan's wife, Gavina, said Kenrick, my mother. They are the Mathan Silgar clan. Bethan's song contains a verse that tells this story. Finley began to sing. While hunting one fall, a young chieftain, Bethan, stopped to rest here and fell in love with a maiden, Gavina. To marry her, he fashioned a truce with her father, the clan chieftain. The verse ended, and we were silent, remembering the times Bethan and Gavina laughed together. It was a good marriage. Now they are together on the other side. Bethan told me he loved coming here, said Finley, even after her death. It was a place he could be at peace. He drank mead and sang songs. The memory of Gavina, our mother, as a young girl, made him smile. That is why we decided to carve his tomb nearby. After my rescue, Kenrick and Finley had carried Bethan's body and me back to our clan. The next morning, while I lay unconscious, Kenrick and Finley took Bethan to be buried. They had stopped at this village on their way home after they performed the ritual of entombing him. At that visit, bringing news of Bethan's death, Kenrick swore to uphold the vow of peace Bethan fashioned with his wife's clan. The clan chieftain Hay, pleased they came, honored Bethan and the agreement of peace with a feast. It was here Finlay first sang Bethan's death song. With the renewed vow of peace, Kenrick had the bargaining tool that challenged our council to vote him the next chieftain of our clan. Now, Kenrick, Finley, Logan, and I rode in among women grinding meal, boys feeding pigs in a small pen, and dogs chasing chickens. The tantalizing smells of evening meals floated on the air, along with the sounds of the families gathered in shared lodges. My mouth watered as I followed the smell of fresh baked bread from this direction and roasted fowl from that. Our ponies paused in the center of the village. People stopped to watch, rakes or vegetable baskets in hand. I heard the laughter of children. Mistletoe and pine boughs hung in the doorways and lay in the windows. Respect for the gods and nature was visible. Alertness ruled the air. We sat at ease, but with our hands on our weapons. Kenrick sat up straight and spoke loudly. Kenrick! Mac Bethan is who I am. I am the Kiran Kittick of my clan. 
son of the last Kionkirik. I have come to honor the tomb of my father, Bethan. We ask for hospitality this night. I heard a murmur, a rustle of clothing, and then I watched a young warrior bend to enter the largest stone dwelling. Mialtu, our dog stood, hackles raised. All of us were unsure what the tone of the greeting would be. A man stooped as he came outside and stood in the doorway. His shield was corded and laid across his back to allow him quick access, a long sword in his right hand and a spear in his left. He was the tallest man I had ever seen. Lime water stiffened his long black hair. His serpent tattoos crawled up, muscled bare arms. His tunic covered broad shoulders, and a leather-woven wide belt encircled his waist. The cloth they all wore, as breeches and dresses, was a simple weld yellow, but a cape of dark blue wool hung from his neck. His skin was the brown color of working outdoors. Behind him stood a blonde woman holding a tawny-haired, wiggling child Logan's age. Tall herself, she was shadowed in the man's height. From behind the house stepped four warriors, arrows aimed at us, ready to shoot if commanded. Their chieftain, Hay, his face alert, addressed us in a deep, demanding voice. Good eve, Kenrick Macbethan. We have watched you ride through our valley. You have asked for a knight's hospitality? Tell me why we should give it. Because you will honor the peace my father Bethan arranged and I renewed, hey, said Kenrick. Our ponies did not know these people and were anxious, flickering and sidestepping. We held our reins tightly, and he continued. We will not stay if you do not wish us to. We are making a journey to honor Bethan's grave. We will pass good words to his spirit if you let us bed here tonight. It would please him if you give us food and mead. Ah, growled Hay. If there is a spirit I wish to please, it is Bethan's. He would be a difficult one to appease if angry. Now get off the ponies before they step on a child and I have to kill you, he ordered the bowmen. They are friends. Let them come. Hay laughed as he took two steps and covered the distance that would have taken Kenrick four. Kenrick and Finley bounced off their ponies and were instantly embraced in a bear hug. Hay then noticed me and turned to Finley, his eyebrows raised. Finley answered the unasked question. She is Jonna, the mate of our druid. She is carrying a gift for Bethan. He died during her rescue. She wishes to honor and thank him. Hay's booming voice was directed to me. You will stay the night. There is boar to carve and good, strong mead. Come. I handed Logan to Hay's wife, the smiling tall woman from the door. Logan, go with Mialchu and make sure he has food and water, I reminded him as he scampered off to be with Hayes's son and the other children. I heard Logan's words tell them that he was on his way to see his dead grandfather, the bear fighter. His giggles and Mialchu followed him, and they made quick friends as children and dogs do. Kenrick and Finley, with Hay's hand on their backs, went into the large stone dwelling. 
The men of the clan followed, and the women gathered the children to help carry the prepared food. There would be stories and songs tonight for everyone in the clan. A bent woman led the ponies into a stable next to the chieftain's lodge. I followed. In the waning light I noticed she wore the wrinkles of many years. Though small for this clan, she was four fingers taller than me. Her hair was not gray like my mother's and the other older women I knew, but long, white, and worn free. I stared at her. She noticed and laughed as she brushed her hair away from her face. I see you have noticed my hair. I have a long story about how it became white. I have only time, and would be honored to hear your story, wise lady, I said. I will get a brand and light this space. We will talk when I return. She went into the large dwelling and returned with a torch while I stood outside the door of the stable. She entered and put the torch in a niche in the wall. We gathered some dried grass and fed the ponies. I made sure there was water in their buckets. She pulled a rope gate across the doorway to stop the wandering of the animals. I rubbed the ponies' backs and thanked them for carrying us this distance. I laid my cape on some of the sweet dried grass piled in the tiny alcove of the stable and sat down. All was well. I was warm, had water to drink, and was ready to hear her story. She sat beside me and began in a soft, far-away voice. It is not a story sang around the fire. It is the story of one life traded for another, similar to the way the warrior Bethan's life was given in trade for yours. The torchlight created long shadows as she leaned her body to rest on the wall. She groaned and straightened her legs. Her knees cracked as she stretched. Ow! My knees ache all the time now, not just in cold. I cannot walk the distances I walked as a youth. My body sounds like rocks falling down a cliff with all its bangs, gurgles, and clicks. Forty-three winters have worn this body down. She wriggled her rump as if to soften the hard ground. Her long fingers ran through her hair, and she started her story. I knew our world was filled with lives as tragic as mine, but I could not understand someone else surviving the same guilt I carried since Bethan's death. I did not believe she could help, but decided to listen and allow her to think she was. It has been this color since I was a child. In the beginning, it was the color of haze, black, not black like yours. Yours reminds me of a glimmering raven's wing, she said, touching a strand of my hair laying on my shoulder. No, my hair had ribbons of copper in it, mm, but I stray from my story. When I was young, my parents died in a village three days' ride from here. Raiders from the sea destroyed it. Only a boy and I escaped. Everyone else was killed by them. Oh, gods, I said, beginning to understand. No, no, child, do not be distressed. It was long ago. I am at peace with it now. She took a strand of white hair and began twirling it around her finger. We heard they were coming. A man ran in from a neighboring village. They had just been raided. My father decided to hide me in a hole he had dug in the field behind our home. 
As he lowered me, he saw the boy run by and grabbed him. My father ordered me to take care of him. She sniffed and rubbed her face, as if to rub the memory away. I did not want to take care of that smelly, wriggly boy who lived with the tanners. My father covered the hole with sticks and leaves. The dust fell through and got into my eyes. She looked up, as if looking for the roof of sticks. He finished the covering and told us to be very quiet. Do not come out until I or mother come back to get you, he told me. Noise exploded around us and the ground shook with running ponies. We heard many screams, then one last woman's scream. She called for her husband. Early in the raid, the boy was in tears and I feared he would cry out. I covered his mouth with my hand. He tried to break away from me, but I was bigger and had a tight hold on him. I was so scared we would be caught. My father told stories of the sacrifices of people caught in raids like these, and I did not want to die. The boy was struggling, so I, I stuffed the hem of his tunic into his mouth and sat on him. I grew cold with a premonition of her story. After a few minutes he stopped struggling. Later I heard the ponies and the men as they left our village. Father had not come yet, so I did not think it was safe to climb out. We stayed through the night. I fell asleep, sitting on the boy. She looked at me, her brows creased in concern, and said, He could still give us away, and I could not let him do that. When the sun came up the next morning, my hunger, my need to pee, and the ache in my legs would not let me stay in the hole any longer. I stood up, pushed the sticks off the top of the hole, and turned back to the boy. The sunlight streamed in on the body that I had sat on all night. He did not move. I had traded his life for mine. She stopped at this and murmured a short prayer to Belle. Now I was alone, she said. I climbed out of the hole and walked to the front of the burned lodges, calling for my father and mother. I found them, the parents of the boy, and all the rest of my village. I found the bodies. Their heads were gone. My mother and father's blood-dripping heads now hung on the raiders' walls. I was the only one alive. As she spoke, a shadow came over my eyes. The smell of food and sounds of happiness around me were gone. I heard only the sword as it passed through Bethan's neck and smelled Bethan's blood as it poured over me. I steadied myself against the wall. I did not want this horror to overcome me. No, 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 I whispered to myself. When my vision cleared, I saw that she noticed my distress. Nodding, she continued her story. I stayed there for two days in shock, wandering around and eating what I could find, but the need to live is powerful. I went into the forest to find food, eating grass and worms until I learned to trap small animals. I ran from anyone who came close until the druid found me. He talked to me for days. I came to trust him. I told him my story. He and I lived together as husband and wife for fifteen sun cycles until his death. She sighed. Her hand touched her hair, 
stroked it as if in memory, and confessed. It turned white the first full moon after my parents' death. He loved my white hair. He loved me. I nodded. She understood. She lived through a horror as great as mine. A sense of relief and perception filled my heart. My grief was lighter. I raised my hands to my face and tears came to my eyes. I could almost believe Laverne would continue loving me. I stopped crying and looked up to see her watching me with kindness. She awkwardly rose to her knees and with a smile said, As much as I enjoy the company of my family, sometimes we just need to be with quiet animals that cannot sing, talk, or drink mead. She leaned over to me and touched my chest, where I had wiped the blood from my palms. A surge of energy came through the tips of her fingers to my heart. Her green eyes burned into mine, and her thin mouth broke into a grin. "'You are a healer,' she said. "'I saw your decorated leather pouch. We are sisters. I am a healer, too. My name is Rona.' "'I am Jana. Thank you for your story. It lifts a burden.' Life goes on, my child. Life goes on. She walked to the opposite wall of the small stable, stretching as she moved. We hunt bears, and they are many this year. I know there are hardships to endure. The gods and goddesses have wars to fight, and we are often caught up in them. For now my family is not in the sight of the angry gods. I pray that it may be so for a long time. I shivered with the thought that came. The slave who took me told me the Romans were coming our way. We can prepare for them and fight until they leave, I said with hope. Sometimes all the preparations we make cannot help, she said, as she handed me a skin filled with a liquid. This is from my healing spring and is pure. Wash and drink. I will bring you an infusion I make from a plant brought from the seaside. It never fails to bring sleep. If that is true, then I will be in your debt, I said, bowing my head in respect to her. Thank you. I will stay the night here. The loudest noises were the ponies munching their dried grass, a sound more inviting than the laughing voices I heard emitting from the dwelling nearby. I do not want to seem inhospitable, but I do not think I can sit through the music and laughter in the chieftain's lodge. Will you tell my whereabouts to Kenrick and Finley? Will Logan be looked after? Yes, I will speak with your men and the boy will have a place to eat and sleep, she responded. I will leave you here to make yourself comfortable and I will bring food and the drink. Thank you. She left. I heard the soft neigh of a pony and an echo in my ear. Sometimes all the preparations we make cannot help. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, The Narrow Line, from his album Legend. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who, along with Steve, have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. 
Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com. I have 